Welcome, everyone, to the EA Global Animal Advocacy Track. In the next hour, uh, myself, Jeff, and Nick are going to present some of the most important ideas and recent findings in animal advocacy. I'll be discussing why animal advocacy in general is one of the most promising strategies to do good. Great. Okay. So um, I'll be discussing why animal advocacy in general is one of the most promising opportunities to do good, along with a survey of some of the most exciting opportunities right now to do so. Um, Jeff and Nick will each present a deeper dive into some of these tactics. Um, Jeff will be covering some of the more systemic approaches, such as spreading ideas through academia, and Nick will cover some of the more uh, incremental and consumer-based approaches. Um, before I discuss the general case for animal advocacy, I want to present a personal story um, illustrating a crucial consideration for helping animals. Okay, so um, I don't know the pig, um, but this is Snow. Um, she grew up on an egg farm uh, before my partner, Kelly, who's sitting here, um, rescued her last year. She and I adopted her soon after, and now Snow spends her days uh, dust bathing, um, exploring our yard, and purring in our laps. Um, and I've spent a lot of time in the past year, um, since adopting her and before, um, thinking about effective social change, and why so many people in poor countries, um, in the criminal justice system, in animal agriculture like Snow was, um, and similar situations are so neglected. Um, and thinking about Snow, and thinking about other um, animals that I know, um, has led me to think that it seems the major reason for this is the lack of a moral connection to their well-being um, that we have for those closer to home, like family members and close friends. Some people, um, including many effective altruists, have gained the same sort of connection to these neglected populations. And this is what I'd argue um, farmed animal rescue, uh, like we've done with Snow and many other organizations do, uh, as well as similar uh, tactics excel at. Um, it allows us to make these connections through individual stories of their suffering and confinement, as well as their potential happiness and flourishing. We don't all need to adopt someone, uh, but we do need to make sure that farmed animals, like Snow, are kept at the forefront of this movement. This individual victim effect, as it's sometimes called, uh, seems applicable to many other areas of effective altruism. And I think we shouldn't shy away from it, even though these personal stories probably aren't the best sort of evidence to consider um, once we've already established these moral connections. So this is the framework that I'll use to address um, the, the case for animal advocacy. Um, I actually didn't focus on animal advocacy until about a year and a half ago. Um, before that, I took a more general approach to EA, um, and I spent a ton of time figuring out in which cause I could have the most impact. Um, as many of you know, um, the uh, literature and evidence available when making these sorts of decisions um, has grown a lot over the past few years. I'm very excited um, at this conference and in other forums to have people um, bringing the case for each of these um, to other EAs so that we can all make these decisions more easily and we're not repeating a lot of effort. Um, so scale, uh, neglectedness, and tractability. Um, I'll go through each of these criterion um, in turn, um, beginning with scale. So um, the number of non-human animals in the world is really absolutely staggering. Um, at this moment, there are roughly 7 billion humans in existence, but there are 24 billion land-dwelling farmed animals, and many more fish and wild animals in the world. Additionally, just as the expected number of humans in the future uh, likely dwarfs the current number of humans, um, the expected number of non-human sentient beings in the future seems exceedingly large. In this regard, it seems crucial that humanity acts with much greater concern for animals in the coming centuries. These animals, both on farms and in the wild, undergo considerable suffering. Farmed animals suffer from intense confinement, inhibition of natural behaviors, and untreated health issues and injuries. 
I'm not going to go too deeply into the details here um, because it's very unpleasant. Um, and I imagine that most people in the audience, if you've been around EA, um, have some idea of what's going on. Um, but if you have any skepticism about the really deep, intense suffering they experience, I encourage you to look online for videos um, and other documentation explaining it. Um, or ask me about it afterwards, and I can give you more details. Um, I'd note that uh, many people change their diets or advocate against animal agriculture due to the extreme harm it does to the environment, um, as well as economic harm um, and health considerations. All of these are all important. I won't focus on them during this presentation. Um, I think that the major case for effective altruists focusing on animal agriculture um, is based in animal suffering. So um, this is a figure of the funding situation for farmed animal advocacy. Um, the vast majority of philanthropic funding in the United States goes towards helping humans. Um, you'll notice that even within the funding spent on uh, non-human animals, um, only a small portion goes towards farmed animals, despite the fact that farm animals make up the overwhelming majority of animals used by humans and are also treated um, in some of the worst ways. I think any case for neglectedness also needs to consider why there is so little attention currently being given to the cause. Um, if we cannot think of a good reason for this, then it seems like there might be a good reason that people are neglecting it. But for animal advocacy, I think there is a very good explanation for why it is so neglected. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think many people lack moral connections to those far away. Um, this moral bias in the case of non-human animals is often referred to as speciesism. Um, so there are actually like really simple and obvious examples of this. Um, they're small scale, um, but you can imagine how they extend to um, big picture things like how we treat farmed animals. So in everyday life, we often say things like kill two birds with one stone or refer to non-human animals as it. And if you stop to think about these things, um, I mean, the first is a very violent expression. Um, you know, there are even more violent ones like um, many ways to skin a cat and things like this. These are things that we would never say um, about humans. Um, and it's really unfortunate that we think this way um, and it's embedded in our language about non-human animals. Um, it was actually my own personal story um, is that my recognition of speciesism and the biases that I had whenever I was thinking about which cause to prioritize um, was what led me finally to prioritize animal advocacy. Um, so this analysis of speciesism, I think both explains the neglectedness of animal advocacy um, and highlights the importance of spreading anti-speciesism through our own everyday language. Um, in other words, I think that it feeds two birds with one scone. <laughs> yeah. So that was a really cheesy joke, but I think it illustrated an important point. Um, so now I think the arguments for scale and neglectedness of animal advocacy is uh, fairly straightforward. I think that most people here would agree that it's both a very big issue and also a very neglected issue. Um, I think the major objections usually come in terms of tractability. Um, well, it seems like social change is, is really hard. Um, we don't have good evidence for it like we might have for um, the Against Malaria Foundation or GiveDirectly or these other things that uh, tackle more tangible and measurable um, outcomes. So um, it certainly seems in general like humanity should do something about this. Um, but what can we draw upon to understand what we as individuals can do about it and actually expect a um, serious impact? So the reasons to be optimistic about our ability to affect change for non-human animals um, include, one, that we've already seen serious progress in the animal advocacy movement, such as improvements in the treatment of laboratory animals and changes in public sentiment regarding farmed animals. Um, most people have now heard of factory farming and the cruel treatment of animals in agriculture. Um, the number of animals slaughtered for food in the U.S. seems to have been dropping or at least stagnating. Um, there's not serious agreement on that, um, despite the growing human population. 
So I think Nick will be going into some more details on some of these accomplish, uh, accomplishments in his talk. Um, current research from animal charity evaluators indicates that we can help large, animals of, uh, large numbers of animals for very low cost. Um, that's the second reason. For example, a donation to Animal Equality, a highly effective animal rights organization, is expected to spare um, 10.9 animals per dollar given um, from horrific suffering, confinement, and slaughter. In addition to this direct evidence, the third thing we have is historical evidence from previous social movements that suggests it's possible to substantially affect the ideas of humanity on a large scale um, using, a, using a group of people um, with a targeted goal. Um, fourth, I think there's an abundance of research from social psychology, marketing, and other areas that illustrates the ability of um, purposeful messaging by companies or individuals or nonprofits um, to change individual attitudes and behaviors. Um, so all of these pieces of evidence, I think, are not particularly robust on their own, um, but together, I think they provide a sufficient case um, for thinking that um, animal advocacy is tractable enough that we should give it serious attention. Um, also, it seems the animal advocacy movement right now could experience a seriously rapid takeoff, um, much like these other movements. Sorry, uh, these other movements, um, which you can see here, have really had um, very sharp changes once they got going. Um, I think it's possible that animal advocacy is on the cusp of such a change. Um, and um, another similar movement that has experienced some recent takeoff is the AI safety movement, as many of you heard, which has experienced some really good press. Um, we could have a similar thing happen for animal advocacy. Um, and this could produce significant gains from marginal contributions um, from people like you. So uh, this was actually the second most important reason in my personal decision to prioritize animal advocacy. Um, previously, I was thinking about um, AI safety and EA movement building, um, but it seems that these are well poised for great success, and I don't see as much inevitability in the success of animal rights. Um, I think that if a lot of people devote a lot of attention to it, um, then we can have really serious success, but I think it's very plausible that we won't have this success. Um, the field is still extremely bottlenecked when it comes to funding. Um, I know some EA donors, even at this conference, have, experienced, uh, have expressed concern that the highest impact opportunities um, in global poverty, policy reform, and other fields um, seem to be already taken, especially by very large funders. Um, that's certainly not the case in animal advocacy. Um, we could very much use more funding. Um, in fact, um, I'm actually earning to give right now um, uh, through uh, software development because ACE, um, Animal Charity Evaluators, only had enough money to hire me as a part-time researcher, um, which I couldn't do, um, even though it seems to be my comparative advantage. So there are lots of people um, excited to work for these sorts of organizations. I mean, we're very much in need of funding. Um, we are very much funding constrained. So I'd be excited to talk to anyone more about that. Um, if you are interested. So um, I also want to give you all a brief survey of eight of the um, main strategies employed by animal advocates, and then uh, Jeff and Nick will go into specifics on a few of these. So um, the first thing I want to cover is um, consumer advocacy. Um, so currently, the animal advocacy movement focuses mostly on individual dietary change. Um, the words vegan and vegetarian are commonplace, and other terms like reducitarian and meatless Mondays are gaining steam. Uh, most of the activism going on is through personal conversations and other direct means um, by people who adopt these diets. One of the most common targeted interventions for promoting dietary, dietary change is leafleting. Um, to do this, activists, both volunteers and professionals, um, will usually stand in a public location like a sidewalk and pass out leaflets to um, college students 
Um, college campuses are an extremely popular place to do this um, due to the large amount of foot traffic and the receptiveness um, of those students to new ideas like vegetarianism um, and other similar places. Um, one of the groups most focused on leafleting is vegan outreach. Um, next, I want to discuss welfare improvements. So um, probably the second largest focus of the animal advocacy movement to date is the improvement of living conditions for farmed animals. Um, most of this has focused on reducing the number of animals kept in uh, kind of the cruelest of conditions, like battery cages, um, which are tiny cages like the one Snow was kept in, um, or gestation crates, which can find pregnant pigs so tightly that they can't even turn around. Um, animal advocacy groups work on welfare improvements through two main routes. Um, one, of course, is passing um, laws and regulations, um, helping lobby for those and get them um, through legislature, legislature um, concerning their treatment. And the other is uh, working with specific companies to change their policies. This has potential to help huge amounts of animals, often across an entire state or supply chain. Um, one of the forerunners in this field is the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, next, we have confrontation. Um, it's another popular tactic. Um, the definition is a bit ambiguous, but I want to use it mostly to refer to um, protests, sit-ins, and other disruptive activities um, where they are not um, people like attending a talk. Instead, they're someone like giving a talk to people, um, whether they sort of want to listen or not. Um, and uh, this tactic has gained recent popularity with the rise of direct action everywhere, pictured here, an Oakland-based group that protests both inside and outside establishments that sponsor animal agriculture, like some restaurants and grocery stores. Um, confrontation is usually focused on the institution of animal agriculture, um, rather than changing uh, consumer diets or opposing a particular um, cruelty, uh, like um, battery cages or something. So confrontation seems to excel at sparking discussion and garnering attention. Um, it's already done that, even though direct action everywhere is quite young. Um, in the words of Martin Luther King, um, nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and foster such a tension that a community which has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. Uh, next, there's legal action. Um, I want to differentiate this from improving living conditions, um, mainly due to one uh, unique and very exciting organization um, called the Non-Human Rights Project. Um, when we think about the cause of the atrocities faced by farmed animals and other animals used by humans, um, there's a fundamental issue that seems to be sort of the root of the problem. Um, namely, non-human animals are currently classified as property rather than legal persons. Um, in other words, they have no legal rights the way humans do. Um, the uh, Non-Human Rights Project has achieved some major success already. Um, if you've seen the news stories um, about, for example, uh, chimps get their day in court, um, that was them. Um, they take an exciting and long-term perspective on uh, defeating uh, speciesism. Uh, next, uh, triggering events. So. Triggering events is a catch-all category for things like documentaries, books, conferences, and other events uh, that seek to capture public attention, um, usually with a new and provocative perspective. Um, pictured here is an image from Blackfish, a documentary focusing on the cruel treatment and confinement of animals at SeaWorld. Um, it's been credited with major stock decline and decreasing popularity of SeaWorld over the past two years, as well as new public attention to animal rights, especially in the entertainment industry. Uh, for farmed animals in particular, there have been several documentaries, a few books, as well as undercover investigations of animal farms. Um, these work by typically animal advocacy groups like Animal Equality or Mercy for Animals will gain employment at a farm while documenting the cruelty through hidden cameras. Um, eventually, they release this footage and explain to the public um, that this sort of cruelty occurs on all farms. Um, it seems these undercover investigations have made huge strides in raising awareness of farmed animal suffering. 
I think they can be credited with a lot of the changes that have occurred in public sentiment um, regarding the term factory farming and similar ideas. Um, next, something that's very popular with this crowd um, is consumer alternatives. So in response to growing public sentiment against animal agriculture, several organizations have been working on this. Um, in fact, there's even a vegan butcher shop now in Minnesota, um, which is really exciting. Um, but many of these options are expensive, which makes them harder to sell to reluctant consumers who've eaten animals all their lives. Um, fortunately, several organizations are also working to address this. Um, for example, last year, a company called Beyond Meat showcased their plant-based meat on the Today Show, um, and the host failed to tell the difference between it and the animal-based version. Um, this picture is of the first cultured meat burger two years ago, funded by Sergey Brin, uh, co-founder of Google. Um, although cultured meat is not yet economically viable, it shows a lot of potential for meeting consumer demand um, for meat without sacrificing um, the consumer demand for ethical food sourcing. The top charity in this space is New Harvest, um, which mostly focuses on fostering connections in this space. Um, fortunately, Uma Valetti, a board member there, um, will be speaking about the organization and field tomorrow. I encourage you to attend that talk. Um, second to last, we have wild animals. Um, this strategy isn't exactly an intervention like the other ones, um, but many effective altruists see huge importance in the suffering of wild animals. There are many, very many of them, and they seem to suffer greatly. Um, many more than exist on farms. Um, these animals often suffer from hunger, illness, and being eaten by other animals. I won't go into specifics here, but I'd recommend Animal Ethics as a great organization that thinks a lot about how we can best help wild animals. Finally, um, we have research, which is what I do, which is what ACE does, um, and this is what I spend most of my time on, um, aside from the Earning to Give project. Um, this usually consists of researching effective interventions, like comparing the ones I've discussed so far in this talk, as well as researching effective charities to find the best giving or employment opportunities. Um, this graph is an example of some older ACE research um, on animal shelters versus ACE-recommended organizations, which focus on farmed animal advocacy and really the huge, huge, huge uh, difference in cost-effectiveness and the amazing impact that you can have in this space. Um, if you're interested in this sort of research or in effective animal advocacy in general, I'd encourage you to contact ACE or any of the other organizations I've mentioned so far. You can also talk to me, and I'll refer you again to the organizations. You don't have to write them down or anything. Um, and I'll, I'll let you know how you can get involved or at least who you could contact to find out more. Um, the room for more funding, talent, and initiative in this field is absolutely huge. Um, it's a really exciting time to get on board um, with a new and hugely important social movement. And thanks for listening. <laughs>